you're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together a crew. I'm a driver. And I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship? Yeah, I know a guy. He's the best smuggler around. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. <laughs> L3! Let's go with a mean man's face. Who are these guys? If you come with us, you're in this life for good. You might wanna buckle up, baby. Some advice. We assume everyone will betray you, and you will never be disappointed. I got a really good feeling about this. Since when do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Push it. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast... All the galaxies, all for you. Good evening, one and all. Welcome to another episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, broadcasting live on channel1138.com and also coming to you on Facebook Live. And we're also going to be publishing on all kinds of other platforms, such as iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, StarWarsUnderworld.com, CastBox, and just about anything else you can think of. My name is Zach, and I'm very excited to be talking about what we've got on topic tonight. It's going to be really fun. We've actually got a few different topics because we had to change a few things around at the last minute, but that's okay. It all works out in the end because we had a really awesome topic we were going to discuss, and then life threw us a curveball, and we've got another awesome topic for us to discuss. So it all works out. But I'm not going to be discussing this topic alone. 
obviously I got to bring in my co-host and my good buddy. It's Mr. Benjamin Hart. How's it going, everybody? Yeah, you might have heard a, a little rumor out there stating that we we might be discussing Spider-Man Far From Home tonight. And yes, while hey, that... Hey, you wh- actually said it right this time. I did it. I did it, everyone. I said homecoming before the show, as is everyone has been doing. Um, but I got it right. Yes, it'll, that's at least one. I'm going to screw it up at some point again. But uh, you may have heard that we're talking about that movie, and we will be tonight, but not as much as we initially intended to. Our super secret guest co-host was unable to join us tonight, so we thought, okay, uh... we'll, we'll we'll save it for his or her, and and we'll we'll push it off to next week. Give us a little more time to think about it anyway, because. That movie's a lot to take in. Let's just be, let's just be you, honest. Here. There's a lot to dissect about that movie. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll a little bit later in the show we'll be discussing our spoiler-free first impressions. We won't give anything away for you guys because there's a lot of spoilers out there. Go see the movie you haven't already because there's a lot of stuff to be spoiled and you don't want to be spoiled. But in light of all of that, we thought, well, we do have another Star Wars film to discuss, and we actually That's very true. We actually screwed it up because we should have been talking about this one already, and we should have talked about Rogue One the other time. So hey now, hey now, but we're not going to ignore that, and we're just going to say that we're going to be talking about Solo, a Star Wars story tonight. And it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. Dude, totally. Because I, I honestly, I hadn't seen this movie in a while. And so to revisit it and and just get to explore the the beauty and the adventure that this movie has, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to be able to, to go back on a, a little bit of a nostalgia trip, if you will. Not only from when we first saw this movie, but, you know, also thinking back to the memories of the original Han Solo. There's so many different elements of his character that are included in this, both new and of old, that are just so, so fun to watch. And it's, uh, it, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty awesome movie, and I'm excited we get to talk about it tonight. Absolutely, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's crazy that it's been a while since this movie's been out. And it's been a while since over we've a ta- year isn't since it? we yeah since we've talked about it, but it's still the last Star Wars movie that was released. <laughs> it's that's it's, true. It wasn't that long ago because it's literally we haven't had any other Star Wars films. We won't have another Star Wars film for another several months, and that is exactly one hundred and sixty-six days. Execute order sixty-six days until the next Star Wars film, which is Star Wars. The Rise of Skywalker. And uh, this is the part where we normally talk about, like, the latest Star Wars news, but there's literally been no Star Wars news lately, so (laughs) we're just going to skip that part. There's nothing to discuss. The news is there is no news. There is no news, except for the fact that we are now one day closer to the release of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. That's, that's That's all I got. Okay, that's very true. That's fair. And tomorrow will be even closer, and the day after that will be even closer. Okay, but the really funny part is there could be somebody that is, like, doing a binge catch-up of all of our Star Wars movies, like, back-to-back-to-back. By the way, if you do that, please let me know, and I will, like, send you a very super personalized thank you, because that would be, like, the coolest thing ever. 
a Star Wars fan going back and listening to every episode of our podcast pertaining to Star Wars in preparation for the new Star Wars. I know that sounds incredibly narcissistic, but it would also be like incredibly humbling if that were to actually happen. But say that's happening and it's like happening in December. You guys would be freaking out a heck of a lot more than we are here on July the 5th. Like, it doesn't even feel that close because it's summertime and it's hot and we're tired and sticky. And a new Star Wars movie isn't coming out until the winter. And I'm like, winter? Excuse me, what is that? I live in Texas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Winter lasts for all of like three days down here, and then it goes back to uh, less summery. Yeah, if that's like, even a like phrase. one day out of the year, you have to worry about ice or something, maybe, and that's about it. <laughs> that's the extent of okay, it. Okay, so ironically, one year when I was like ten or eleven, I wished for a white Christmas, and I got it. Because it iced over the night before. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm like, damn you, Mother Nature. I got my white Christmas, but it's not the kind that I wanted. Since then, I've learned to be specific about the things that I ask for. It, it helps to be so specific, yeah. Yeah, like, you can't just say, make me a prince. Because there's a lot of gray area in the phrase, make me a prince. And, you know, you ask for a white Christmas, and then you go out and you, you see all your family and you're like, oh, I, I, yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm surrounded by white oh, people now. Whoa! Ah! Ah! You just went there. I went there. I went there. I saw a racist joke and I walked right into it. Wow. See, I was thinking like an apocalyptic joke. <laughs> like you asked for a white Christmas and, oh, you didn't ask what kind of white. Bam! It's Chernobyl, bitch. Jeez. <laughs> oh, oh, so gosh. I was thinking racism. You were thinking deaths for everyone. I was, I was thinking death. So, How did, morbid did, so is that? basically, our our both of our minds are in the gutter tonight. Let's just that's just the way it is. Well, okay, but don't they don't they call him a sewer rat or they call uh, Corellia a sewer at one point? In yeah, this movie, don't yeah. They? Uh, Dryden Voss says. Uh, a, a, a sewer is putrid as Corellia or something like that. He's, yeah, he's very uppity yeah. about thing. Which, to in in to his credit, yeah, Corellia seems like a really awful place. Yeah, and that's really funny because when I read like the Legends novels, all Corellians seem to be really proud of Corellia. Right. Like they all thought that it was some sort of crown jewel that the the rest of the universe needed to be aware of. But now that we've actually had a chance to see it, it's just kind of a stinkhole. And I mean, I, was... I, I don't want to. I don't want to like judge the whole planet based on that one city. But normally in Star True. Wars, if you see one part of a planet, the whole planet looks like that. So I know, right? There's nothing that's kind of like Planet Earth, where you've got all kinds of different cultures and and regions and stuff like that. Like Scarif, it's all like Bermuda. Mm-hmm. Hoth, it's all like Nepal. Tatooine, it's all like, I don't know, Jordan. It's just, I uh, I get the idea of filming on location, but if you're filming all these locations on planet Earth, can't one of those planets also have multiple climates? Yeah, no, no, just a, no, just a thought. No polar ice caps on Tatooine, which is kind of weird right? if you think about it. If you think about science and that whole right? thing. 
Um, but there's hey, no, it's fantasy. There's no it's global not warming. There, there's no global warming because the whole planet is freaking warm. Yeah, that's what we have to look forward to. We're going to be Tatooine one of these days. It's on its way, man. But I'm not gonna. I'm not here to get political. I'm here to talk about movies. Okay, this that's as political as I'm gonna get on this show, and I already regret it. So well, let's talk about something that is relatively pertaining to uh, Star Wars, because mm-hmm. uh, the Last Jedi director Ryan Johnson has put himself back in the director's chair with a trailer for a whodunit movie mm-hmm. called Knives Out. Yeah. It looks interesting. This movie is something that I generally, I don't think I would be on my radar too much if it wasn't for Ryan Johnson. I mean, let's face it, like, Star Wars, at least for me, put Ryan Johnson on the map as far as, like, knowing he existed because I'm just not that knowledgeable about, like, film directors and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I think he, it's, it's whether you loved or you hated Last Jedi, like, that movie, you know, has put a lot of spotlight on him, and now he's got this movie coming out, which is more of kind of his classic in the style of Looper and Brick and all these kind of, kind of a lower, lower tier film, not, not nearly as big as Last Jedi. Of course, nothing is really bigger than Star Wars, but this is still, like, if I, even if it wasn't for Ryan Johnson, this movie looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. It looks... It's very interesting, and of course, the best part of it is it has to be uh, Chris Evans saying something I can't say on the show. I'm not going to play the trailer because I don't want to bleep it out. But uh, Chris Evans saying "eat crap" to a lot of people, and it became a meme, and it's the best <laughs> thing ever. Oh, it! I think it became even more than that because I think the thing to do on Twitter now is to. Um, actually share the videos like you can share video clips now and so like the actual video is there kind of like the whole Kawhi Leonard thing where he was like what it do baby and they made a whole (laughs) bunch of different memes out of that it's like oh my gosh now it's basically the the Chris Evans telling people to eat dung and I'm just like oh my gosh this is amazing this is amazing and even if that is the best part of the movie, I would I would be really interested in seeing Captain America say that stuff, you know? Tony's come a like long way. He's, he, he's got a lot more freedom to say those kinds of things now because of his situation. We've discussed Endgame in depth, so I'm not going to go into too many spoilers for that. But, you know, it's it's just interesting how many people are involved in this project, Chris Evans being one of the biggest ones. But there's a lot of people. Well, let me let me go over on... them really quick. So you've got Daniel Craig is playing a, a mm-hmm. detective and he's he's got a twangy accent. So he's not he's yeah. not definitely not James Bond. But you got Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Ana de Armas who was from Blade Runner 2049, I believe. Um, Jelly, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Don Johnson, Michael Shannon, Lakeith Stanfield, Catherine Langford, Noah Segan, Eddie Patterson, Ricky L- Lindholm, Jaden Martell, and Christopher Plummer. This is an all-star cast. This is a huge cast. And that was like, they announced the cast even before they started filming. It was like, whoa, they got those people. So, like, it. it's, I mean, I know... Casts aren't everything, because the uh, the newest the the Dead Don't Die that latest movie that had Adam Driver and Bill Murray in it, that movie flopped. 
which is a shame. Is anybody that... anybody surprised by that? Not me. Well, I mean, it, they were really marketing in, on the cast, and, and it looked good. It looked funny, but at the same time, you can't you can't sell a movie on a cast if it's not good. And I guess that movie wasn't very good. Dude, I'm sorry. I I don't have any patience for movies like Zombieland or The Dead Don't Die. I don't believe the zombie apocalypse is the place to make jokes. Really? really? I, like I no jokes on. I No, I I feel like it's too people real. have been well, I don't even know if you can call it real or just realistic or something like that, but I feel like because of how seriously The Walking Dead takes itself, that whole genre is now kind of limited in scope to only being like very dramatic in nature. And the only kind of comedy you're going to have is like the 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 types of people who are kind of the bumbling idiots or the the comedic relief or something like that, but a whole movie that is steered towards comedy. I just don't think that it's going to play out as well as people thought it would. See, I I think that being that zombies have been done to death. <laughs> you see what I did there? Um, yes. yes. As much zombie stuff as we've gotten, as much zombie movies, I feel like the only way to do zombies these days is to make a joke out of them because they've just been overused to the extreme and taken almost too seriously at times. Um, so I, I appreciate the concept of taking something and making a joke out of it, but that's not the first time that zombie movies, as you said, Zombieland is is nothing new, and it's getting a sequel pretty soon. So, you know, but, uh, you know, getting back to this movie, I, I don't know if it's supposed to be, I really don't know if this is supposed to be a comedy or whatever. It's obviously very funny, but... Okay, so I heard that it's actually intended to be horror. Really? So some... That's what I heard. I heard that Johnson pitched it as a horror film when he was making the appeal to all these actors and actresses. But honestly, it feels, at least the trailer does, it feels more like a whodunit a la the Murder on the Orient Express that we got a couple of years ago. Have you have you ever seen, uh, uh, what's the name of the movie, Murder by Death? You've heard of that movie? I've heard of it. I don't think I've seen it, though. It's fantastic. It's got a, uh, as someone pointed out on Twitter the other day, it's got a very... Got a very obvious racial stereotype character, but other than that, it's fantastic and it's freaking hilarious. It's got Alec Guinness who's playing a blind butler, and yeah, it's 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 insane. But th- this movie gave me vibes of that movie. That it's very you know maybe not as quite as crazy because Murder by Death is very like I don't know the type of humor like almost. Uh, What's the other thing? I'm blanking on the name. Very crazy and very not realistic in any way. Where this seems to be going towards the kind of oh, it's a realistic thing, but we've got these crazy characters screaming at each other, um, which could be interesting. That's the phrase that I'm paying attention to. Could be interesting. It's it's definitely full of potential. I'll give it that. But you know, much like you said, with the dead don't die, it's also got the potential to tank miserably. So. You know, the funny thing is, being an AMC A-list member, I'm now looking at trailers like this and going, yeah, if I've got an extra movie this week, I'll go check it out. But if I didn't have A-list, I'd be like, nah, 
I'll wait for the red box. Yeah, I feel like I feel like this movie. I don't know. The, the Dead Don't Die really hammered it hard. Like this is the best zombie cast ever, and it just didn't do anything. And I think it's the equivalent of like these animated movies. And I saw a lot of them going to see Toy Story Four. All the previews for these, let's just face it, awful-looking animated films that you know are probably going to not make that much money, are not are just going to be panned by critics. But they're like, oh, we've got this actor and that actor, and that's it's 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 all about just trying to sell and make tickets based on those names and not about the actual quality of the movie. Hopefully, that's not the case here. Hopefully, there's a real written story behind it and you know I, I you know I'm not gonna say that I 100% love everything about Ryan Johnson but I think I think dealing with something like this I think he's gonna be really he has a good track record let's put it that way so you were talking about animated films bringing on all-star names just to get butts in seats you wouldn't happen to be alluding to Secret Life of Pets 2 getting Harrison Ford would you Oh, no, no, of course not. Why would I ever even insinuate that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is that is so, man, I don't know what to think of that. How did they even get him to do that? He hasn't done animated movies before, ever. This is his first animated movie, he, period. He, here's the thing. He won't do any more Star Wars movies. He wanted Star Wars to kill him off so he didn't have to do them anymore, but he'll do Secret Life of Pets 2. That's the world we live in right now. What does that tell you? I I don't even know how to interpret that. Does he really think that, that Star Wars has just kind of fallen off the rails and the future is secret life of pets? I don't even know what to make of that, dude. Yeah, I really don't. Sad state of affairs. Uh, I'm just, I'm confused more than anything. I'm not upset. I'm not mad. I'm just like, what? What are it you doing, it. Harry? Come on, man. It's like um, it's, it's like that meme. Oh, no, baby. What is you doing? It's exactly that. It's exactly that. <laughs> that's that's a tweet right there. Headline, Harrison Ford cast in Secret Life, Pesa 2. Meme. Oh, no, baby. What is you doing? <laughs> so true. So, oh so gosh. true. Okay, one other piece of news that we're going to touch on before we do our spoiler-free impressions of uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, This is a series that I'm actually looking forward to, and it's one of the main reasons why I'm keeping my Amazon Prime subscription. I don't really order a whole lot of stuff from Prime anymore, but when I do, I always get really excited when it gets here in two days. So, I don't know, maybe it's worth it to keep it. But uh, Amazon Prime has been working on some good original content lately. Man in the High Castle is working on finishing up its series. They just released a new TV show called Good Omens, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people have been up in arms about, but if you actually watch it, it's a really good series. I heard a lot of people people try to get Netflix to cancel it. uh, Oh, yeah, uh, and Netflix released a statement promising that they're never going to make another episode. And it's not even on Netflix, by the way. Right, right. And it was already intended point. to be a one-off series, not with a second season. <laughs> oh, dude. But, okay, Neil Gaiman. Uh-huh. He did, he did Coraline, and he did Good Omens, and he was also the author of the Graveyard Book, which was one of my favorite novels that mm-hmm. I've read recently. Mm-hmm. 
I would really like to see Amazon pick up more game and stuff. And if they do, I would want to see them go the route of, you know, maybe a six or eight episode miniseries that tells the Graveyard book. That would be really cool. That would be awesome. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of good things about Good Omen. So that that's uh, that's great. Are you a fan? Are you a fan of the band Queen by any chance? Um, Hell yes. Okay. Then you will love this series. Oh, really? Because basically any time they have a situation that calls for musical interludes, it's Queen. Well, they already had me sold with David Tennant. So, like, you put Queen in the mix. Right? Like, okay, okay, I'll watch it. Well, okay, so the very first episode, David Tennant is a demon. And uh, there's a point where he's meeting with other demons. And as he's driving up to the meeting... He's got Bohemian Rhapsody playing on his car stereo. Of course he does. And just as he gets out, they do the operatic sequence. It's like, Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me. Like, <laughs> the timing of it was just so beautiful. And being a, a Queen fanatic myself, hearing that, I just lost it. I was like, what? Okay, good omens. I see you. I see you. And I've just been hooked on it since. I still need to finish up the last one or two episodes, but I am pacing myself because I just like it that much. So I'm really excited to see how it turns out. But anyways, Amazon. Amazon is also working on a live-action Lord of the Rings TV series. We've talked about it on occasion here, mostly when we were discussing the Lord of the Rings franchise. Uh, Was that earlier this year or was that sometime last year? That was last year. That was last year. Jeez, man. We've done a lot of stuff this year, and none of it has been Lord of the Rings. (laughs) But when we were discussing that franchise, we talked about this a little bit, and it's actually been officially announced recently that the director of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, J.A. Bayona, is going to direct the pilot episode of this TV series. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and, it's a, and, and speaking of horror, you know, Jay Bayona is known for his horror work and, you know, the very horror-esque elements of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. So, you know, I wonder, you know, what is this going to have any kind of bearing on the tone of the, the Lord of the Rings show? You know, I mean, we can assume it's going to be similar in tone to the Lord of the Rings films, but at the same time, you know... They may be doing something a bit different. Maybe it'll be something in a different feel. And not to say that Jay Biona doesn't have range, but you know, could be could be telling about where we're going with this. Right. It, it's telling of the tone, and it's telling of just how seriously they're taking it. Because, in my opinion, Falling Kingdom was one of the better movies of 2017. And I know that I'm incredibly biased by that, but the the writing, the music, the execution. The advancement of the story, like, it was a true sequel in all of its components. And the interesting thing about this Lord of the Rings franchise is it's actually a prequel. It's going to be telling stories that happen between The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. So Bayona has an opportunity to expand on events that happened in The Hobbit, but also anticipate things that might happen before The Lord of the Rings. So he's got a lot of creativity in here. He's got a lot of flexibility in here, as do all the the showrunners and the creators. But, 
you know, he's going to be the one that helps set the tone. Is it going to be something that is really scary and intimidating? Is it going to be something that is mysterious and adventurous? Is it going to be something that is character-driven, action-driven, scenery-driven, all of the above, none of the above? You know, what's the focal point going to be? Bayona is at the helm for all of that, and I'm actually really excited by that decision. Yeah, yeah, I think, I, you know, I, I have my qualms with Fallen Kingdom, but I think he, he, he did a really great oh, job. Oh, I have what... no qualms with Oh, I Kingdom. know you don't. I know you don't. <laughs> we, are, we are on a different like, page, my friend, on that none. movie. There is nothing wrong with that movie. You are just wrong, my friend. Well, I didn't really get a chance to talk about it. Maybe we'll do a revisit on that one so I can explain how wrong you are. <laughs> And plus, you I can try, I, but I you, need you won't I succeed. legitimately I want to watch that movie again. I want to watch it again because I I did not hate it at all. But I just had a few I mean, a few issues there here and there. Stuff these stuff that I thought could have been better. Whatever. That opening scene is great though. That opening scene is like perfection. Oh, that's that's true Jurassic Park. It is like that's that's reminiscent of the original 93 Jurassic Park. And there are so many elements from that movie that are also reminiscent of the 93 Jurassic Park while still telling its own story. That's what makes it beautiful. Also, I know a lot of people hate it, but Chris Pratt unconscious, partially trying to get away from lava is one of the best things the Jurassic franchise Uh, has ever given us. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll, I'll I'll give you that. That I stand that by that opinion. Was, that that scene was a little over the top. I will I will give you that. No, no, I but think it's perfect. I, it's over the top. It is perfect because in a, in a, in a perfect sense. Okay. <laughs> See, I thought this was like where your sarcasm was. Starting no, no, no. To show I am one hundred percent genuine. I love that scene. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair All right. Enough. Well, well, speaking Bayona, of, of genuine, Bayona with Lord of the Rings. I'm excited. Absolutely. And before we jump into the big topic for tonight, I think we need to address something as we talk Uh-oh. off the top of the show. Um, Spider-Man Far From Home. I didn't mean to scare you there. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> we uh, we both saw it, this movie. We, we like, like, on opening night, I believe. Opening, like, like, almost at the same time. Like, I saw it a little bit before you, but... I've never seen a non-Star Wars film on opening night or opening day, but it oh, happened dude. with this one, and dude. I am so glad I did. What happened to you? Like, were you dropped on your head as a child or something? Like, why wouldn't you go see, like, there's so many movies worth seeing on opening night. I've been working see... on Fridays and Thursday nights. All right, give me a break. You, 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 you didn't even see Infinity War on opening weekend? I mean, I saw it opening weekend, but not opening day. Oh, wow. Okay, see. Mm. <laughs> so many opinions on Infinity War, but I'm not going to go there. Ah. I I really liked Far From Home. I really did. I I wasn't sure what to expect, especially considering how immediately it was following Endgame. But they did a really good job, and it was it was like a surprisingly good job, and I I liked what I saw. It felt like a true comic book movie. It had some of those zany out there elements that you would see in a comic book, and they found a way to bring it to life, and I really appreciated that. I completely agree. I 
adore this movie. I love it so much. And, and it really, like, I don't, and I say that with, I have issues with this movie. I have some, not serious issues, but I have some things that I, I'm kind of, that kind of bother me. And I'm, I'll, I'll express those next week when we talk about it fully, because some of them are spoilerific. But still, I love this movie. It is so much fun, and it's a great little addition. And, and the best way I can describe it is, and I try to kind of do this a little bit online, but like, it really, it feels the most, like the most comic booky movie I've ever seen. And I know that sounds weird, considering all these films are based on comic books, and they're all kind of comic booky. And they're all, you know, especially now, we live in an age of things that are comic books now coming to life. The Walking Dead, Marvel, DC, you name it, if it's a comic book, it's probably been made into a movie or a TV show. And nothing has really changed, but this movie, I think, takes it to a whole other level. And I, and I say that coming off of Endgame, which was this massive thing with all these connections and characters and bringing together this whole universe, this movie was that, but on a smaller scale for me. And it wasn't just bringing together characters like Mysterio. You have, it's not a spoiler to say, Nick Fury, Maria Hill. There's several characters that you know show up in this movie. But but based on like the, the story and what it does with these characters... It will leave some scenes will leave you flabbergasted as to what is happening and what you're watching. And, you know, maybe if you're familiar with the comics, you can kind of see where that's going, especially with Mysterio and all this kind of stuff you know about his character. But I think you're still going to be surprised. I don't care if you read all the comics, you're still going to be shocked what you see in this movie. And it just. Like, some of the surprises are like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Oh, and it just keeps revealing and revealing and revealing, and there's this so many layers to the plot twists that you don't see them coming. And just on top of that, it's a great character study of Spider-Man. It's a great outing for Spider-Man. I think anyone that had issues with Homecoming, I think is going to be very pleased with this movie. I was. I have issues with Homecoming, with the characterization of Peter Parker and how his, his relationship with Iron Man and all this kind of stuff... All that, I think, is rectified in this movie. All that, I think, is really... It's, it puts Spider-Man and, and Peter Parker in a such a great place for the future. Um, and just does a really great job with this character. And Mysterio is great. And, you know, all of the characters are great. And, you know, MJ. And it's just... It is a joy to watch it. Go see this movie right now. Especially since we're going to be spoiling the heck out of it next week. Yeah, you've got one week's time... To actually go and catch this movie for yourself. We usually give people like a week or two weeks. And by people, I mean us. Uh, <laughs> or me. We, we give people time to go catch the movie. But there are some instances where we're like, okay, we can't wait any longer. We've got to do this. And the, the interesting thing is, as you mentioned, we were going to be talking about Far From Home tonight. We, we had watched the movie. We had created the show notes. We were ready to dive into discussing that movie tonight uh and we were also going to be uh bringing in a guest but that guest had to drop out at the last second which is unfortunate but we really didn't want them to miss this uh this episode of spider-man and so we're like okay we'll talk about star wars instead that's a fine alternative which we will get to in just a second here but before that Let's bring in the audio of our special guest who sent us a 90-second snippet slash teaser, if you will, of their thoughts and impressions of Far From Home, and then we will get their full impressions on next week's episode. So 
Here we go, our special guest contributor voice for the next 90 seconds. Hey guys, uh, these are my initial first thoughts and impressions uh, upon seeing Spider-Man Far From Home for the first time. Um, I'm a big fan of Spider-Man Homecoming. I thought what they did with that, with Vulture, with setting up who Spider-Man and Peter Parker is after Civil War and being introduced into the MCU, uh, I thought they did a wonderful job there. And they just continue with this. You know, I'd say the first third of the film is a pretty good romantic comedy and then the second two-thirds of the film are a really high-paced action film with very interesting uh, characters, very interesting villain, um, and, you know, they further explore who Peter Parker is and who Spider-Man is, and he's trying to figure out his life, and he develops as a character, and I think they do a really amazing job with that. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this film, uh, and I think that they set up a lot of really cool things for the future and i cannot wait to see it again next weekend with my wife and my brother who have not seen it yet um and yeah so first impressions really really good really really entertaining first third a little bit slow for me but uh you know once i push through that then the second two thirds are really really good high quality stuff and um yeah i highly recommend it and there you go. It's Mr. Jake Damon, if we didn't, if that wasn't already apparent. <laughs> well, I mean, we've had him on the show several times over, so hopefully regular listeners recognize the voice. And you're going to be hearing a lot more of his voice next week uh, when we actually discuss this movie in greater detail. I'm probably going to try and follow suit and figure out a time when I can uh, watch this movie again just to, you know, have it in the forefront of my mind again because actually between watching um far from home and tonight when we were supposed to be discussing it i actually ended up watching the entire men in black trilogy in one day <laughs> really because i really enjoyed the first one and i wanted to see two and three to better understand international which i had seen uh with my friend mondo about two weeks ago uh-huh like it was it was like opening weekend i think and I wanted I wanted to get like a deeper context, and I ended up watching the entire trilogy because I enjoyed it so much. It's some of Will Smith's best work. I'm just gonna put that out there. But uh, yeah, I probably need to go see it again because right now I've got a whole bunch of uh, neuralizers going through my head and making me forget some stuff. So <laughs> I, I hear you. I'm I'm, ex- I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to get back to it, and I'm excited to to have the chance to talk about it next week. And I'm excited to talk about what we've got on tap tonight too. We're finally getting into it. It's only been what? 40 minutes. <laughs> hey, it happens. People on Facebook are like, Hey, when are you actually going to be talking about the movie? Dumbass. But, uh, you know, that's part of the fun on IPC is we've got so many other things to talk about that, uh, eventually we just kind of end up working our way towards, uh, this movie, which, like we said, is a revisit. You know, this movie came out over a year ago, and it, it's funny because I really had only maybe watched it once since I picked it up on Blu-ray, and so much like Rogue One, I had an excuse, I had a reason to go back and watch this movie again, and it did not disappoint. It's a really, it's I think it's one of my favorite to rewatch right now. In regards to, I think he just has a really great rewatchability. I think 
I don't know. It, it's weird with me and Star Wars films because, like, I love them all for different reasons. And I, you know, I can rewatch any of them on a moment's notice. You know, if you, you, you know, it's like the, the our lists of movies you never say no to. Well, in, all what ten films would thing? Even the Clone Wars movie. If you asked me to go watch the Clone Wars movie, I would not hesitate. I'd be thing. I know you have a different feelings, and that's fine. But that's just very me. different. That's just me. Very different. But with this movie, I think even more so. It has. It just. It, it starts really well. The Corellia sequence is a lot of fun. And getting into the, go to the train heist, and then you have the, the card game with Lando, and you know the, all the way to the mines and the Kessel Run. It's a really... It, it, it moves. It, it doesn't... Hold your hand. Like, and I kind of agree with um, Jake's assessment of Spider-Man Far From Home. It, it kind of drags in the beginning a little bit, and then it really gets going towards the middle. And you don't really think about it, but with Solo, I think Solo is a, it's really strong. I think it's really well paced overall. And I think it just does a lot with the characters. And it, and it introduces a lot of new great characters that we didn't know. And some breakout ones like Kira, who I had no idea that we would have a female lead. That's probably one of my favorite female leads from these new films and one of my favorite Star Wars characters. Kira is amazing. And she really stole the show. And she's just one example of a lot of characters in this solo Han Solo movie where, I mean, it's very different in the way that all of the Star Wars films are always cutting away to something else, whereas this movie is constantly focused on Han Solo. It never cuts away. There's no parallel plot lines. It's always focused on him. But yet, the characters around him still manage to shine. Which is amazing. It, it is a true definition of an ensemble cast. It is. It really because is. Because you, you, you can't have Han going on these adventures alone. Like, it, it just it doesn't make sense for Han to have solo adventures. Is it, you see what I did there? <laughs> Han solo oh, adventures. Boy. It's too early for me to be getting punchy. I'm sorry. But, I mean... Even even if you look at something as simple as a promo image, you've got Lando in that picture. You've got Chewie in that picture. You've got Kira. You've even got the Falcon. I would contest that since L3 got put into the mainframe of the Falcon, the Falcon is now a character. Oh, yeah. I mean, even more so. I mean, since even before then, like, the Falcon felt like a character. But now that you know that she's been in there this whole time and she's you know, been a part of it and possibly influencing the entire rest of the saga that we know of because she was the one that's kind of been the Navi computer. Like, yeah, she, that when they say, you know, how is she doing or whatever? Like, you know what they're talking about. Traveling through hyperspace ain't like dusting crops, boy. Yeah. Like that line means a whole lot more now because we know who that Navi computer is. And then uh, Empire Strikes Back, you know, you've got, 3PO saying, where's R2 when I need him? Sir, I don't know where your ship learned to communicate, but it has the most peculiar dialect. That is the best. That is the best. Empire Strikes Back is the most enhanced by that because you have them Dude. talking about, you know, trying to communicate with her and all this kind of stuff. And uh, they even threw in a little Easter egg into uh, into uh, the Last Jedi novelization where R2 is on the Falcon on Octo and he's like, haggling with the Falcon, and, and apparently it's three droid brains, and, and you, we, I don't even know if we knew at the time that um, it was L3 the whole time. 
Dude, I they threw in a lot of Easter eggs in this movie. Um, did you know that the um, what is it? What is it? The the fertility idol from Raiders of the Lost Ark is in uh, Dryden Voss's meeting room. I remember. I can't remember when I first spotted it. I know you can see it at some point in the movie because I know there's a lot of stuff in there and it's not all of it's visible. But I know that is pretty pretty visible in one scene. I think it's the first scene where they're having the meeting with Dryden. Um, and there's so many Easter eggs. Like, you got the, the whole Mandalorian armor in there. Like, there's so many good stuff. Like, that... They well, should... I mean, it's even a... It's even a Mandalorian ship. It's like it's the same shape as Duchess Satine's transport ship from the Clone Wars, isn't it? Exactly. In fact, one time I w- thought I was really smart and said, "Oh, well, look at this. This this ship, Dryden ship, looks like the uh, the Concordia or something, whatever the name, the Coronet, the Coronet in the Clone Wars. The Coronet. Yeah. yeah. From Voyage of Temptation, one of my favorite Clone Wars episodes." And I'm like, oh, look at this and this, and you have the mall connection to to, to to Mandalore and all this kind of stuff. It all mixes together. And someone, like, immediately responded, like, dude, like, it's on Wikipedia. Like, it's all connected. Like, this wasn't an accident. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I don't feel like anything in this new canon is ever by accident. No. I think... I think by reintroducing Maul the way that they did. I mean, I guess we're kind of jumping all over the place with the spoilers here, but whatever. Spoiler alert uh, for a year and a half old movie. For a year old movie, right? <laughs> it, it feels so weird to have to say that, but people actually still get mad about that kind of stuff. Like, wait, Maul's in this movie? Spoiler alert, guys. Thanks for ruining the movie for me. But no, I mean, going back to the to the interconnectivity that you get with with Maul and the connections to Mandalore and the Clone Wars. I mean, that was probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. I I really enjoyed just about everything that I saw in this movie, but I was not expecting to see Maul. I really wasn't. And you know, when, when, when he shows up, it, it carries a lot more weight when Dryden says, you know who I work for and you know that he's going to want consequences. Like that's exactly what Maul would want. But I just I had never put those two pieces together, so I I may have been the dummy my first time seeing it, but after seeing it a second, third, fourth time, what have you, every time I hear that line, it makes perfect sense because that's that's exactly who Maul is and what his character is, and it fits so well into this story, and it gives a lot of you know nods of respect to the people who have stuck with the franchise and recognize that Maul's not really dead. Yeah, if you if you've listened to the Star Wars and World podcast, you know I have some complicated feelings about Maul showing up in this movie, but sticking to the positive, I'm just I'm just in awe, and I applaud them for having the cojones to do this to put things. And I know a lot of people are you know like John Kasdan. We're really behind this, and I think even Ron Howard was kind of like, okay, let's get this done. And you don't think Ron Howard would know, would even know that Maul survived The Phantom Menace, much less make a movie with him in it after The Phantom Menace, which is nuts. But whoever made this happen, I applaud them because it's just amazing that it actually exists, that this is a, like, there's these small connections. Rogue One was a step. Rogue One having Saw Gerrera show up, that was a big deal. I remember being flabbergasted that Saw Gerrera was in that movie. It was the same character from The Clone Wars. Like, that was a big deal. But having 
the films actually acknowledge the fact that Darth Maul survived. And it's something that I thought never would happen, ever. You would never have this happen. Like He's always going to stay dead in the movies. Of course, they're going to do stuff with him in the animated stuff and comics or whatever. But like having the films pick up that thread and go, okay, we're going to take this. And it's sad now that Solo didn't do so well, didn't do as well as it should have. And they were obviously setting something up. And hopefully they can come back around and actually pick up that thread. But just the idea that this is a thing that happened and that Maul was in and that I got spoiled early on this movie and I didn't believe it. People started, I kept seeing people saying, oh, Darth Maul's in this movie. I'm like, you're crazy. That ain't happening. There's no way that's happening. Just, just shut up. And then I watched the movie and I'm like, oh, they were right. Amazing how sometimes the internet actually gets it right, like 5% of the time. Occasionally, maybe. Very, very, very rarely, but on those rare times that it does, we actually get surprised by how right they are. It's <laughs> It's so funny. I mean, here's here, here's here's my here's my take on Maul, and and then I'm and then I'm done talking about him. We'll talk about uh, I don't know the guy who's got the movie named after him or something maybe, after maybe. this. Um, there's been a lot of push lately for make Solo two happen. Mm-hmm. That's that that's been a thing on the internet, uh, especially on Twitter, and I'm really willing to join the craze. As long as it actually follows what they were alluding to with the big shot gangster putting together a crew kind of thing, I would really like to see Han be on that crew and be opposed by Crimson Dawn and uh, and Darth Maul. And, and see, for me, for me, that's that's my solo too. I when I say I want solo two to happen, I'm not necessarily saying they should make a straight-up sequel to this movie and just continue the story of Han and Chewie. I think, I think a much, I think, honestly, the more interesting path is to do something that's all about Kira, all about Darth Maul, all about some of the other characters, about Emphis Nest and all those guys, um, and seeing where they go. And, like, we know where Han Solo goes. Like, you can kind of fill in the gap and say, okay, this is where these characters are going. But, like... We don't know what happens to Kira. We don't know what happens to Maul, other than the fact that he ends up on Malachor and then Obi-Wan kills him later. Like, so there's a big gap there, and, uh, you know, I, I, I want that thread picked up. I want more of that. Well, I think there's a way to kind of give you all of that, because you can have Han and Chewie in a movie about Maul and Kira. Yeah. And 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 kind of vice versa. Like the storytelling can be in such a way that maybe you do have a more traditional storytelling where you've got Han and Chewie in one corner and then in the other corner you've got Kira and Maul. And the the finale is about when the two of those paths end up converging or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, we were talking about the ensemble nature of of this movie's storytelling, but it doesn't have to be that way. It can be more didactic if you want it to, and it allows you to actually give split attention to people who actually need the attention. And see a lot people of like, go ahead. like Maul and Kira. A lot of people have floated the idea of not doing solo two hypothetically, not as a film but as a TV series or like a limited series. 
And a lot of that reasoning, I think, a lot of people pointed out that, like, this movie could really be, like, split up into, like, several episodes of a TV series. You have the, you know, the the part, the, the beginning on a Corellia, you have the train job, you have what's going on with Lando, and then you have, you jump to things, like, there, it's sectioned out where there's very diverse sections of this movie. You know, you have Corellia is very different from when you get to Mimban. And, like, all this kind of stuff. So, it really works as kind of this ensemble story, this kind of not-so-tied-together story that is ultimately tied together by Han Solo and Chewbacca. Um, And I think it just really works. I think that would be amazing. Just to get more of that and have, you know, have more Han and Chewie, but also get more of those other characters, which I think are the strongest elements of this of this film. Uh, you were talking about Mimbam. I want to go there for just a second because it actually has some of my favorite sequences of this whole movie. Yeah, uh, I, I would agree with that. I mean, you, you, you see him working as a soldier for the Empire. It's not working out. At one point, he mentions that, like, they're the invaders or something like that. Right. What, what 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 was it that he said that that we're the anomalies or something well, like that? He, I can't he, I can't remember the phrase. Yeah, it was it was the the imperial commander was was talking about how you know we're here to, you know, uh, clear the clear clear the planet of hostiles and and Han rightly points out that it's their planet. We're the hostiles. I, I, there it is. We're the we're the hostiles. Yeah, and okay. I love that line because it's. You know, like, Han's kind of a shady character, but also he's got a moral compass and, and just kind of having someone within the Empire call them out on their crap, like, right there is is hilarious. Well, and it leads to some pretty serious repercussions, too, because he ends up getting in trouble there. He ends up getting in trouble with Beckett. He ends up getting in trouble with Chewie. It's like everywhere he goes, trouble seems to follow him. It is really unfortunate because for somebody who's usually known as a scoundrel, you see some of that moral compass and some of that tough decision making in the the muds of a of a really terrible looking planet, and he turns out to be the bright spot because he he stands up to the man. He ends up creating a plan with a Wookiee by speaking Wookiee, <laughs> and then he ends up making an escape. With a bunch of rogues who end up, you know, actually taking him on as one of their own. So it's a it's a really good day for Han Solo. He has an opportunity to do something different. He has a chance at freedom instead of being underneath somebody for once in his life. Like, I feel like Mimbom's going to be one of those places that he just has a lot of memories from. And if he ends up having to go there again sometime in his life. I'm not necessarily saying that we'll get to see that in a movie, but maybe in a book or a comic or something like that. Like if he ends up having to go back there, he might actually end up having fond memories of that place instead of negative ones. <laughs> you never know. I just like I love the juxtaposition between and and the similarities to Han in The Force Awakens and Han in this film and how Han you know, is all about like, you know, he he's kind of dismissive of Ray and Finn, but he's also willing to help them. And you know, ultimately, kind of comes back around. He's the, he's the he's the guy that's trying to act like the big bad tough guy, but ultimately he's got a heart of gold, and that is Han Solo. But 
it's funny how Ray and Finn are both kind of pieces of him. You know, he was, you know, kind of this runaway guy with no parents and on the streets, you know, living on his own. And then he became a stormtrooper. And that's Ray and Finn. And I think you can put so much into those scenes in Force Awakens and his reaction to Ray and Finn just based on this film because I think he definitely sees that. And, and, and it's not a coincidence. Like, Lawrence Kasdan co-wrote both of those movies. So it's 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 obvious that those connections are, are meant to be made. But I just love the... I love just between these few films that we've gotten that you've got some really great uh, connections. Well, it just adds to the depth of an already fantastic character. If if anything, we, we have seen Han Solo's sentimental side, like in The Force Awakens, or... You know the the way that he's very tender with Leia when they're in the asteroid in Empire. You know we we've seen some of those moments, but we're we're not exactly sure where all of that comes from. In this movie, we get a really great opportunity to see where all that comes from. We get to see you know that he's capable of love, that he's capable of compassion, that he's capable of generosity, that he has a moral compass, like you alluded to. You know there there's all these elements about who he is that we've always just kind of assumed but now we get like a visual confirmation of all those things in this movie right right and just you know I I, I just like it really I don't know this film and I know even I with the first thought of this film was like I'm not sure I want this movie like I'm not sure like what like really do we need this do we need a further explanation of one of the main characters of Star Wars, one that we really know so much about already, and we've seen him die, and now we're going to go back to see his beginning, but I think, ultimately, I admit, I was wrong. I, I needed a Han Solo movie. I, I feel like this movie was did enough to justify itself in the, in the sense that, uh, you know, he... It's, it's all about him, and it's all about, you know adding even more layers to this very layered character and adding, making him even more, more of a hero and more of a redeemed hero in the sense of, you know, what he does in this film, you know, his journey and where he leaves off to where we see him in a new hope. And then furthermore, through the force awakens. So I think overall, I really appreciate what this movie tried to do. So here's here's what I've noticed as far as the types of context we've gotten from both Solo and uh, Rogue One, our two standalone films. In Rogue One, we got a lot of context about certain elements of A New Hope, the Death Star, and the Rebellion's first successful attack that we see mentioned in the opening crawl. It's 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 context of events. In Solo, it does provide context as well, but it's less about context of events and more about context of character. We get to explore Han's character. We get to explore uh, Lando Calrissian's character with with Donald Glover's excellent portrayal of Lando Calrissian, and we get some some better understanding of the crime syndicates that exist outside of the hut clans. Mm-hmm. You know, in in most live action Star Wars, it's been 
Jabba, 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 Jabba. <laughs> yep. In in this, it's like they make some sort of illusion about a big time gangster on Tatooine. Okay, that we can kind of fill in the dots with. But this is all about the criminal underground and the Pikes and the Marauders and Crimson Dawn. So many pieces of a much bigger puzzle that we had never had context of before. This this movie was really more about context of characters than it was about context of events. And it was different, but a good different. I I enjoyed it. Yeah, it it just I don't know, it, it provides something I just think about is like it provides so much context to, you know, what we already know about the character and I think, you know, it, it ultimately as I said, it it justified itself. It was will it it was telling us something that we needed to know. We didn't need we didn't know we needed it. Well, okay. So I will I will I will make a, a counterpoint to myself um, as I Devil's go back advocate. through this movie. Well, in a way, in a way, uh, the one event that it really did give a lot more clarity to was the idea of making the Kessel Run in twelve parsecs. Uh huh. Because for a long time, people have been complaining about how a, a parsec is a measurement of distance, not a measurement of time. So how could the Kessel Run have possibly happened in a shorter distance than originally intended? Right. And to have that context in the visual spectacle that they gave it to us with, that was quite, quite a, a sight to behold. I think the Kessel Run, as again, I have a few qualms with it, but I think overall, um, it, I think the Kessel Run was really well done, and the way it's explained, I think, kind of, again, kind of fixes a plot hole in A New Hope because it really doesn't make sense. Like if you think about it, like a measurement of of space, like how does that work? You know, how do you change this? But having it within this maw of a thing and surrounding the planet and you have to get out of it. Um, and it really makes for a really exciting chase scene. I mean, it's really visually stunning. It's a bit dark. This movie overall is a bit dark, and if I had to <laughs> if I had to get into my criticisms, it's probably one of those, but, like, it's it's still, that's a, that's a really amazing sequence that they put together, and, and it's a great, and it's not even the climax. It's in the middle of the movie. Yeah, that's true. That is true, but I think the the visual darkness also helped add to um, the surprise when the lightning strikes and the Imperial Star Destroyer is just kind of sitting there waiting for them. Like, that that shot gave me legitimate chills. Mm. I was like, ooh, you're screwed now. It was it was really fun to watch, mm-hmm. but I, I am curious. What is it about that scene that you would critique the most? Is it how visually dark it feels, or is it the idea of having a living creature inside of the Maw Cluster? Like, what what is it that that you would look at and say, eh, "I didn't care for that one as much." Um, I don't know. It it, it like pacing wise, I think it's a little. It's a slightly clunky. It's it's a bit much in the way that it doesn't you know it doesn't 
hit all the right points like I think it does. Like it carries on a bit much because you're kind of you're like going in and like oh they're going to the mall. Oh and then there's a thing and you know they're destroying the Falcon and all this kind of stuff and it's good stuff and really like I. I go through phases where I'm like I can be really hypercritical of something and then I then I'm just not. I'm like, "Oh, this is so awesome." Like when I'm watching it, I'm not. And like last time I watched it, it is great. Like it's a really fun sequence, but um it's it, yeah, it is a bit dark. It is a bit, you know, kind of figure out what's going on, but I think they did well enough. And you know, yeah, you, you get an explanation for why the Falcon looks so torn up. Um it happens pretty quickly, but you know, that was kind of a given. That they were gonna find some way to explain that in this movie, so it may as well have been this. I mean, you don't go from something that looks amazing and pristine to a new hope, and what a piece of junk! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like how does like how does that happen in the span of just ten short years? Like there, there's got to be something about it that did something to it, but you know. I think the other thing about it is we now get to see what Prime Falcon looked like. Right. We right. we get a, we get the opportunity to see what that did look like at some point and how it got to where it is now. I mean everything from the the exterior to the the walls on the inside to the the playing table like there's there's so many things about it that was that was so much fun to see and the the way that the characters interacted in and around those just helped enhance the characterization of the of the falcon right yeah and you you have the the uh, I I just love the little details on that like you know you have Beckett and Chewie playing Djarik and Chewie doesn't is, is new to the game. He's never played it before, so he's saying, and he goes to wipe all the things off the keyboard because he gets pissed off, and when he hits it, there's two other aliens that we've never seen before on the board, and when he hits it, they disappear. And it's meant to assume that those aliens were there to begin with, but they 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 lost, and they, were, they never returned after that moment, so you never see them in the original trilogy because Chewie uh, wrecked the board. But yeah, just little things like that, and and the Falcon looks great, and it's it's almost sad to see it get uh, wrecked as much as it does, and you kind of feel sorry for Lando, just a little. Well, I mean, there's a point during the escape where he just kind of looks to nowhere, and he's like, "This is why you don't let anyone else pilot your ship," because Han, while he's a good enough pilot to like get you out of those tough situations, he's not quite the pilot that's able to save the ship which is really funny considering like return of the jedi uh-huh. when he when he's parting with it you know they they do that shot where lando's like i'll take good care of her she won't get a scratch like bull freaking horse crap man <laughs> lando's the one who didn't have a scratch on her in this movie and then you get it and just all of a sudden you're just bleeping shit up I just realized you're going to have to bleep that one out, too. Yeah, you tried to bleep yourself in the moment and it didn't work. I, I go on these tangents and I don't censor myself as well as I thought I would. It's almost like at, in, normal, in normal circumstances, you, you just curse like a normal person. And you, you don't what? censor yourself. It's weird. What? 
I I don't what I mm mm I don't. Thankfully, mm. your mom doesn't I'm, listen to this. I'm not going there. Oh, <laughs> my mom? Yeah. You think I'm worried about my mom? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think taught me those words? Okay, then. All right. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> when I make a mess in the house, she tells me clean that bleep up. <laughs> wow. So, that, uh, that uh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, we're getting some backstory <laughs> here. Oh, a day in the life of Zach. Yeah, that's not what you people signed up for. No. If you want that, if you want that, you can just go and uh, I don't know, listen to uh, to some other podcast that I've got called Commusings. That's just more like talk about my life. So uh, let's talk about Han Solo's life because mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting that. He spends probably the first third of this movie driven by this desire to find Kira. And then a miracle happens and he finds her and he spends the next third trying to keep her safe and convince her to to join him. And then he spends like the last third trying to figure her out. Because he like she surprises him in several instances, and she's changed since he last met her. Like their relationship is really really interesting in more ways than one, because they start out as lovebirds, but they end rather tensely and awkwardly. So it's really hard to tell exactly where those two land. Should they do a sequel? What kind of tension is there going to be between them, if any, considering the events of this movie? That yeah, that's the thing with with Kira and Han is, you know, I never expected. Like I I think their relationship is the best romance we've seen in Star Wars, honestly, and it's partly because it's so tumultuous and it's so like you get this really great like they have this great relationship. And then it just falls apart from there, and Han is just clueless as to what's going on. And you have Kira, you know, who's been through hell and had to go through things and is literally a slave. And, you know, ultimately she has some great moments and very satisfying to watch her um, kill her boss in the end and, you know, take over. But ultimately she's tainted by all this, and instead of trying to get out and wanting out and being this you know the the old han the han of the future is shown through in this one because you have him constantly going yeah we'll just run away you know no big deal but they'll kill us han no no it's fine we'll just we'll, we'll, we'll go we'll, we'll 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 outrun him like that's his whole shtick that's why the entire time in the original trilogy and even in the force awakens people are chasing him down wanting to kill him because he just doesn't care um so i think i love the fact that here He's trying to do that, and Kira won't let him. And Kira ultimately is, you know, I think I think a lot of her moves towards the end are as much about wanting to shield Han from that life, but also has to do with her being ambitious and wanting to be on top. And uh, because she's in this life, and she thinks there's no other way out, so let's just get on top. Um, so... I love that character. I love what they did with her. I love the fact that we have this 
great female character in a Han Solo movie, um, which is crazy. Um, so, yeah, I that's the thing. I want more of her. I want to see where her story goes. I want to see where she ends up because she could... You know, I want to see her stab them all in the back and leave them on Malachor. I think that's what probably happens. If if you want to see more of Kira, I would suggest seasons three through eight of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Because one Daenerys Targaryen is definitely channeled in this movie. There there are a lot of elements of the the strength and grace and poise and dignity and leadership that uh, Daenerys exhibits in that series that Amelia Clark brings to Kira's character. And I'm not trying to belittle either of those. If anything, it's a testament to uh, Amelia Clark being able to play those strong female leads very, very well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm with you. I would, I would like to see more of what she does. I I think it's interesting that she went from just trying to escape to now seeing opportunities to be at the top of the heap. Mm-hmm. And she she takes full advantage of that. Like I I don't think killing Dryden was to save Han. I think she saw an opportunity and she took advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. There too. there were there there weren't any guards left. She knew that Han wasn't going to tell because it was in his best interest to keep quiet and because he was a little preoccupied. And when she had that opportunity to take out Dryden, she took advantage of it. Which is a shame because, in my opinion, Dryden is one of the better antagonistic characters that I've seen in the last few years. Paul Bettany makes for an amazing villain. He is. He is my favorite Star Wars villain. Honestly, because more than Darth Vader, more than Darth Vader, more than Vader, maybe even more than Kylo Ren, more than Dooku. Yes. Yes, I can confidently say I just look, I love the dark side villains. I especially love Kylo Ren. I, I, I love, everybody loves Vader. I mean, even Dooku, Christopher Lee is amazing. But like Dryden Voss is this guy that he's this Jekyll and Hyde. He is this guy that. You know, you first meet him, and he's literally just stabbed someone and killed them. And he's like, oh, this thing, he's just having a drink, and he's just so evil, but yet so nonchalant about it. And then he walks out there, and he's talking to Beckett, and he's consoling him after losing Val. And it feels legitimate. It's not like it's something, it's not like he's trying to get something out of it. He's legitimately, like, being a friend to Beckett, and being a, like, a cons- like a conscious, like, person and worried about his feelings, and you're like, oh, he doesn't seem so bad, but then he's later, like, well, if you can't get the job done, I'm just gonna kill you, and it's just this back and forth with him, and, you know, it's, you know, yeah, there was a whole other thing with Michael K. Williams and what that character could have been as far as, like, a CGI kind of character, but, like, what Paul Bettany did with the character and just the intensity and the just the unpredictableness of like you never know where he's gonna go. You never know what he's gonna do because he may be hugging you one minute and, and literally cutting your throat the next. Well, I mean that's that's one of the things that, that I enjoyed about him. It was also the way that he carried himself. He just felt very self important and I knew that that was going to be 
part of his downfall at the end. Uh, he he lived a much too luxurious life. Like for for somebody that's part of the criminal underground, I know you've got money, but he was the type that flaunted it just a little bit. And I I knew that that pride was going to lead to his destruction at some point. And also the the voice, the the timber of his voice is perfect for one of those types of people who can be having a casual conversation one minute and then getting really ticked off at you the next, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. He's just extremely capable of being able to to scream and shout at the top of his lungs in anger and then calm right back down and sound just like Jarvis. You know, <laughs> it's just, it, it's such a weird paradox to see all of that encompassed in one character. Um, you know, he, he was great as Jarvis. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I really enjoyed him as Jarvis. I really enjoyed him as Vision. But this may be one of Paul Bettany's better characters just because of the range that he gets to exhibit and the influence that he exerts over the, the whole movie, whether he's on screen or not. Yeah, yeah. I, I too, Vision. Vision is one of my favorite Marvel characters. And I don't know, maybe I am subtly admitting that I have a man crush on Paul Bettany, and I just haven't come to terms with it yet. Um, but, I mean, there is that. But, yeah, I think he's he's given he's given a lot more, I think, in regards to just acting. And, you know, Vision is kind of this more controlled, like, you know, like this guy that's very knowledgeable or whatever. Dryden Voss is just out there. He's just a, he's a lunatic. And lunatics are interesting. They're terrifying, but they're interesting. He's a bit of a loose cannon, if you will. A loose cannon. And you never is... know when he's, you never know when he's going to go off. A, that's precisely it. That's it. He is a loaded gun. He's a loaded gun. And and you never know when he's gonna go off. It's it's a crazy thing, and there's there's some really fantastic characters. Some that we haven't even touched on, but we probably need to before the night is over. Uh, we we mentioned L three three seven just a little bit when we were talking about her integration with the Falcon, but before that, she was a droids rights activist. <laughs> what did you make of that? I. And I know certain people are like, ah, this is a bit on the nose, you know, I don't know about this, you know, it, it feels a bit much. I I loved L3, and, and I don't, and I agree with some people that, you know, think that it's it's a bit weird how she's treated, it's a bit weird how she dies, and I'm not going to get into it. I, I, there's, I have a whole theory, and I have a whole explanation as to why it feels weird that she quote-unquote dies in this movie, but... Ultimately, the character, just as she is, she's a bit underused in this movie. I could have seen more of her, and I really, really liked her because, ultimately, she's basically a mouthpiece for a thing I've heard about Star Wars for years now, which is droids are... It's kind of messed up that droids are basically beings with consciousness who know what's going on, that... You know, they aren't like automatons, like 3PO, R2. They're their own characters, their own personalities. But they're basically treated like slaves. They're basically treated like appliances. Just, oh, do this, do that. You you got to do You I own you. And it's a bit weird. And I it totally makes sense that at least one droid, throughout how many millions of years the, the galaxy's been going on, that one droid would go, um, I don't know about that. 
that 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 I I I think I'm just gonna be my own person because I have a consciousness and all this stuff. So I love the fact that L3 exists. You know, I mean, the, the ex- execution maybe wasn't all there. I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge was amazing, and I would love to see more of her. But uh, I think the concept of the character, I think I liked more than anything, and the, the idea of bringing this, just having a discussion about, okay, well, what, what, why can't droids be free? I think one of my favorite lines in the whole movie, there's a lot of great lines, don't get me wrong, oh, but I think one of my favorite ones of this movie was when Lando's going to the back and he's like, if you need anything and very, very sassy, very, very sarcastically over her shoulder. She just goes equal rights. I love it. It was, it was so, so fantastic. I, it, it was really funny because when you're watching the trailer, you, you see her say this line, so glad we took this job. And it sounds sarcastic because you're kind of in the middle of a firefight. Right. And then you you watch the movie and you realize that she's kind of serving as a liberator for her her brothers and sisters who are enslaved by these organic overlords. And she's like, I'm really glad we took this job. I found my true calling. Like, <laughs> who would have expected that to be a droid's calling? I Not me, but they still found a way to make it work. Yeah, yeah, I think that's ultimately what it is, is that, you know, I think L3 is just, it is nice to have, you know, a character like that. Just just to turn the whole droid sidekick thing on its head. You know, you can have a you can have a you know, a, a scared droid like three PO, you can have a sassy droid like K two SO, but having a droid that's like, um, no, I'm not gonna do what you say because 'cause I I'm my own person, so screw you. It's like, nah, fam. Nah. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I love it when she kicks it Han out of her seat. Get your presumptuous ass out of my seat. And then he ends up. Never mind. <laughs> I know what you're going with that. I uh, just mm mm uh uh. Some places I just gotta mm mm draw the line. Uh, speaking of drawing the line, we're gonna draw a brief line in the sands of uh, Havreen. Is that where it's called? Savarine. Savarine. What am I thinking? Havreen. I don't know. I think it's a word that I heard at some point. Savarine. We're going to draw a line in the sands of Savarine for a second here. Go to commercial break. We'll be back in just a few seconds as we discuss some of our favorites from this movie and then wrap up with our final thoughts. Don't go away. This is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I have drifted into the underworld. The Star Wars underworld. I have a bad feeling about this. Hey, y'all. This is Ben Hart here. I know y'all just heard me on the IPC talking all things geeky and fun. Now I'm here to tell y'all about my other podcast. It's called The Star Wars Underworld, about all things Star Wars. We talk Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars Last Jedi, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and so much more. I record it with my friends Chris and Dominic, who are here to tell y'all all about it. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ben. I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars this week. It's fun. It's funny. We're going to have a great time. Hey, 
Guys, I am so nostalgic for mall packaging, and I love being on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking all the latest Star Wars news. Well, now that y'all had a little taste of the show and you know what to expect, you should check out more episodes by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for the show on the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, the Google Play, and all sorts of things. And may the Force be with y'all. It's a wrap, eh? And we are back once again with our discussion of Solo, a Star Wars story revisited here on channel1138.com, also on Facebook Live. Thank you to everybody that's kind of popped in and out listening on all those different platforms. It's been really fun getting to chat with you guys live. If you're not listening live and you're listening on iTunes or Google Play, thank you for being a part of the discussion and go find us on social media at IPC Podcast to talk about some of your favorite moments from this movie. But that's actually the next question that we've got on tap. Ooh, I got a really bad case of the hiccups. Have you ever had the hiccups before? The hiccups, what are these? It's where you hiccup and the air that you inhale from the hiccup gets released in the form of a very small burp. Ooh, I'm I'm familiar with these. I get these I get those quite often. I just didn't know they had a name. 
I created the name. So, ha. There you go. You coined it. I gotta pay you. I, I gotta pay you five cents every time I use it now. I I coined the the term hiccups, so I will take Bitcoin as payment. Oh, just kidding. I don't even have a Bitcoin account. <laughs> but we've mentioned a lot of really great moments in this movie, Ben, and I'm curious what your favorite moment was in this film. Oh man, my favorite moment. I think my favorite. There's a lot of. As we talked about, there's so many good stuff from the train. The train heist is amazing. I think it's one of the best sequences in all of Star Wars. Um, I love the whole mind thing. Um, I think I think I'm gonna have to go with that. But the specific moment is right when they all get back on board the Falcon and they're trying to leave. And obviously, we've lost a lot of people. We've lost L three. Lando is injured, and the only person left to actually fly the Falcon is Han. And he's been wanting to do it this whole time, and now he gets a chance, and he's kind of waiting for someone to go, oh, go go fly that, and he, he goes and runs off. And there's that one little tiny moment, and it's very subtle, where you have the Rebel fanfare playing in the background, and, and Han jumps in the seat, yep. and he just, he just stops for a second, and he just relishes yep. it. And he's just like, I'm here. Like, this, this is what I was born to do. Like, he realizes what a momentous occasion is. It's not like, it's not like this thing that just passes by that you as a viewer understand, Han realizes this is a defining moment for him. And it's just a great, great moment. Alden Ehrenreich does perfectly, plays it off perfectly, and the music, everything is brilliant. Well, I mean, it's directed and shot and edited and scored in such a way that not only does the character take notice of the the moment, but the audience is able to recognize that the character is taking notice. Everyone is everyone sometimes... is winking at. There's a wink at the camera from the, the, the from the orchestra to the editing. Everything is there to like. Okay, look, pay attention. Well, they also did that when Kira got up and gave the co-pilot seat to Chewie. I love that moment too. I love that's a great moment when you have the two of them sitting together in the cockpit for the very first time. That might be one of my favorite moments. Yeah, that. And when they're uh, escaping from the mall, I think there's just a lot that's going on with the with the tentacles trying to grab them and pull them in, and the the use of the uh, shoot what do they call it the coaxium, right. you know that's the thing that they've been after all this time, and they actually utilize it to their advantage by putting some into the engine and using it to get out of their situation. You know, it's this blending of, of piloting and teamwork and escapism and great cinematography and, you know, classic Star Wars adventurism and having a really tight window to try and escape from and last second tension. All of that is kind of embodied in that moment there. And just when you think things are at their worst because the engine's been overloaded, you're falling back into the mall cluster, you're like, oh, no. Bam! Out of nowhere, the engine roars back to life and just kind of shoots them out of there. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that was too close. I almost had a heart attack and I wasn't even on the ship. Damn! I love the moment when it go they go to hyperspace and it's just, just it's chaos and the asteroids hitting together and they jump through and it goes to Savarine and it's just this peace and quiet and there's the beach and this guy with his feet propped up on the desk and they're like oh we're coming in and then the falcon just 
flies in and crashes on the beach, and it's just perfect. Well, and then that's where you get that classic line between Han and Lando. They're looking at the beat-up ship, and Lando looks over at him, and he's just like, I hate you. <laughs> Han's like, I, I know. know. I know. I know. Oh, my gosh. Another nod to stuff from other movies. You know, you've got the I love you, I know from Empire, and it's like mirrored in this movie. Just, oh, so well done. So, so well done. It absolutely is. Okay. We cannot say Han Solo for this question. (laughs) That's kind of a given. Who's your other favorite character in this movie yeah see i specified i specified in the notes favorite new character new character yeah i saw that because you didn't want chewy to get mentioned either i guess well i suppose for this one you you can mention chewy if you want but i feel like it's a given we love han it's a given we love chewy but i think a lot of the 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 not so givens are like the unexpectedly great supporting cast this movie there's a lot of them um, and there's some of them we haven't talked about. One of them that's my favorite is Infus Nest. Infus Nest okay. is, I, and 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 a part of this is just the fact that she's so intriguing. We don't know a whole lot about her, and I want so much more. But uh, she's just I don't know the whole position of that character, and the fact that she's this badass and this deep you know deep talking. And then you find out it's a little girl in there, and you know, and she's a badass, and she's—I I don't know—just the whole idea and her connection to the rebellion, and bringing that back around, and having kind of Han flirt with the rebellion for it's a time, but ultimately rejecting it. I think just a great, unexpected part of this movie that I, I wasn't—I totally did not see coming. But I'm like, yeah, that character, bring her back. I want more of her. I we do we do need more of Erin Kellyman in our life because she just played that part so incredibly well, so so incredibly well. So what's your and, favorite character? Okay, so I'm I'm kind of torn now because I I was gonna go off on a tangent about Donald Glover as Lando, but he's not a new character. <laughs> Lando Lando's not a new character. So if I if I if I had to talk about a new character, I would go with. Beckett. That's I I I really enjoyed Woody Harrelson's portrayal as a scoundrel. You know, we we've seen him play similar similar characters like the the Colonel character in War for the Planet of the Apes, but you know, to actually see him living outside the law and uh trying to trying to make his way in the world He's he's figured out that he needs some people close to him, but he doesn't want to get too close to them. So, you know, I think the only person that he really actually did get close to, that he really did trust, was Val. And then Val gets killed early in this movie. So he gets very isolated and gets very bitter. But at the same time, still finds a way to take Han under his wing and teach him the ropes of living outside the law. He he kind of becomes like a mentor person in certain aspects. But then at the very end of the film, he's also kind of taking care of himself, looking out for number one. And so, you know, seeing that side of him, seeing the side that that is, is mentoring Han and teaching him and protecting him and caring for him, 
And then also seeing the other side where he goes to Dryden and and tells him of the plan. You know, it's like when he when he finally does walk into the room, he says something to the effect of, I truly am sorry, kid. And I believed him. I believed him when he said, I really am sorry, because we'd seen those two kind of grow as a pair over the course of the movie. But ultimately, the bottom line is the bottom line, looking out for number one. And so to to see that, I wouldn't necessarily say that he had like a well-developed character arc, but he had a very consistent character showing throughout the course of this movie and i i liked everything that i saw he was the scoundrel before han became the scoundrel mm-hmm. and you can almost see some of those areas where han emulates beckett in certain areas of his life and it's just it's impressive to see that han is that impressionable that there was that much of Beckett's character that Han picked up and took with him and used for himself later on in future movies and future adventures that maybe Beckett rubbed off on him more than anybody cares to admit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I love Beckett. I love how he really does influence Han in, in his old demeanor. It really does. It's It's pretty impressive. So, ah... Uh, there's so much that we could talk about this movie, but also just so little time. So <laughs> yeah. let's let's go ahead and uh, give our final thoughts and impressions and our uh, our scores for this movie. Yeah, absolutely. By all means, you want to go first? Yeah, my final thoughts are as follows. This movie is a great adventure story. And it's one of those movies that you could show people without having any other context of the Star Wars universe, and they'd be interested and want to see more. Uh, I truly believe that. And uh, it's one of the. It, it's really interesting. I saw in the trivia that this movie is the first one from the Star Wars official canon that makes no mention of the Jedi or the Jedi Order at all in yeah, the whole film. Yeah. And yet it's still a really solid installment in the Star Wars universe. And I think that's a credit to the acting. We just talked about all the different great cast members. It's a credit to Ron Howard's directing. It's a credit to the writing. It's a credit to the editing, the music. Everything about it kind of comes together to make for a really fun movie. I think that's the best way I can put it. It might have had moments of intensity. It might have had moments of... of I don't know, uh, tension. It might've had moments of comedy, but overall it's a fun watch. And it's one that I look forward to having fun with other people. The next time I watch it, I watched it by myself today. I watched it solo, if you will, but I'm looking forward to when I get to watch this with other people, family, friends, people new to the franchise, what have you. It's, it's definitely one worth watching again. And I look forward to watching it again for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, but like you said, there are still some things about it that are worth nitpicking, but I'm not going to pick at those nits tonight because I'm just going to focus <laughs> on the fun. But there, there are, there are some things that I, I would look at and go, Oh, okay. That's pretty on the nose or that's, 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 that's a little, that's a little too much, but okay. I see where you're going with that, that kind of thing. Um, but overall, overall, it's, it's, it's a fun film and I give it a very solid 8.5 out of 10. Nice. 
Nice. And and for me, you know, I, I just, I really, really enjoy this movie, more so than I thought I would. And I think, um, it, it just overall, it really is, it's a fun time, it's a fun movie, it's not super consequential, I don't think it's a... A movie that's all about, um, you know, massive galaxy-changing things. It's about just one character, how other characters affected him, how he came about, and ultimately does tie in with a lot of crazy different things from, you know, Beckett talking about killing Ura Singh to Darth Maul showing up. Like, it's very interconnected with the, with the story of Star Wars from various different angles, and I think it makes it a stronger story because of it. And Han Solo is a more interesting character because of it. And we get Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo, and we haven't praised him enough. I think he does an amazing job. And he was he was able to do the impossible that no one thought he could do, which was actually be Han Solo and not be Harrison Ford. Um, and he deserves all the credit in the world for that. And, you know, it's just, a, as I said, it's a fun movie. It's not meant to be huge. It's just meant to be fun, and I think it excels at that. And, you know, it's 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 got some problems. It's got some issues here and there. It's got some quality in film issues in the way of it's too dark sometimes. Let's just be honest. But still, overall, I think flies past those. I think it really does shine in a lot of areas, sometimes literally. And so I'm going to give it I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Okay. I I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. Uh we did not get a a planet score from some of our our guests or members of the Peacekeeper Corps, although that's probably something that we should do uh eventually is ask people before the show what they would rate it so we can actually talk about it on the program but whatever it's as if we didn't have enough on our plates you know what i mean right but if you're listening live uh go ahead and shoot us your planet scores what do you rate solo a star wars story out of 10 and if you're listening after the live production then find us on social media you can write us at ipc podcast or you can write me online at Zach underscore DFW. Wow, I am maxing out my microphone and I don't know how. Like, all of a sudden, my levels just went super duper high. Write me on social media at Zach underscore DFW or you can find Ben on social media as well at Ben Hart with no E. Just spell that out phonetically, Ben Hart H-A-R-T with no E. Gotta spell that out too. Mm -hmm. But it's all in good fun, and just get into the conversation with us, because we'll be talking about Solo uh, probably over the weekend, just probably posting random gifts from the movie without context, knowing us. Yep. But get in on the conversation, be a part of the fun, and then uh, be on the lookout for what we're talking about next week. We've already hinted at it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. I think the only other Solo-related thing we have tonight is the quote of the night. That is very true, and uh, you're the one that picked it out, so I'm going to hand the reins over to you, my friend. Well, I, I don't think it really needs an introduction. I'll give it one any really, really quick. This is the scene following the kerfuffle on Mimban, and uh, we get a little tender moment between Han and Chewie and their official introduction in Star Wars. I think it's, it's, a, really, it's a really great scene, it's a really wonderful scene. 
and I'm going to shut up and let you listen to it for a second. So, without further ado, here is tonight's quote of the night. Thanks for helping me get out of there. No, oh, they only took you because of me. Hey, I got us a real sweet deal here. We do this one job with them, we make some real money, and then we're free. What's the last time you could say that? Been a while for me too. So what's your name anyway? Chewbacca? <laughs> All right, well, uh, you're gonna need a nickname because I ain't saying that every time. One thing I like to point out about this scene is the fact that Han says, oh, you're going to need a nickname because I ain't saying that every time. Literally in the scene, he says Chewbacca. That is the only time in the entire Star Wars saga where he says Chewbacca. Every other time in all the original trilogy, Harrison Ford I don't think has ever said Chewbacca. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he says Chewie every time in A New Hope. Every single time. All the way through to The Force Awakens. So, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, pretty prophetic words to say, yeah, you're going to need a nickname. So he comes up with a nickname pretty quickly because he does not want to say those Chewbacca three syllables. He has to... Apparently, apparently, maybe it has to do with the fact that it's so many syllables from uh, from, from the original language i don't know I, I i don't know what the train of thought there is apparently he but, can speak wookie too yeah and that's something else that we don't see throughout the whole rest of the series but it also explains how the two became such close compadres right our friend george gives solo a nine out of ten nice. thanks so much george for listening live and thank you to our financial patrons for being a part of the program as they always are People like Joey Mays, Jake Damon, who you heard from earlier on in the program, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, and Parker Ott could not do what we do without you guys doing what you do. And I know I'm saying do a lot because I'm trying to get do and do to be put together and just make a do-do joke. Do or do not, there is no try. There you go. There you go. Uh, just thank you to all you guys. If you're interested in becoming a patron, just check us out on Podbean, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. There's a patron button there. There's also our entire library there, so you can see pretty much every episode that we've ever done in the history of anything ever. Ever! Ever. Over the course of five years and almost 250 episodes, pretty much all of it is there. So go check that out as well. Uh... One thing that we've done for over 240 episodes, almost 250 episodes, uh, is this one last segment that I think should prove rather entertaining, but we got to get through it quickly because we're running short on time. So, ladies and gents, get out your hashtags. Start putting them in the chat if you're listening live. Put them on social media, Facebook or Facebook Live, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and anything else that carries a hashtag because it is time one more time for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Barbec
This one is pretty straightforward. <laughs> After they uh, decide to try and trick Dryden towards the, the last third of the film, he offers them some colo clawfish, which, if you can recall from our top five Star Wars creatures episode, that made it into my top five was the Colo Clawfish. Yeah. And at that time, you mentioned that Dryden had made some sort of reference to Colo Clawfish in, in, the, in this movie, and I never caught it until this last time that I watched it. I was like, <laughs> whoa! So there's a Phantom Menace reference in this movie as well. And it just got me thinking, if you can serve Colo Clawfish as a delicacy, there's a chance you can probably serve it as barbecue at some point as well. Yeah, I would assume so. I mean, there is such a thing as barbecue seafood, and you know, if if you can cook it, if you can eat it, you can barbecue it. And so, I would be very interested to see like what they what they do with the clawfish. What it looks like in the movie, and it's hard to tell. It looks like it's it's almost like Jello or something like that. It's like right. it's like translucent it looks gelatinous. Yeah, and, You're I, right. and I, you know, maybe from a production standpoint, it might be Jello. It might be what he's eating. Which sounds good to me, but you know it's definitely this, like uh, like a fish, um, or a, especially a giant uh, man-eating fish <laughs> that is uh, the colo clawfish. But uh, yeah, you can you know I, I don't know like people. It's funny how in the real world people almost like brag that they they like eat certain things with like oh I ate gator or whatever and like. Colo Clawfish is basically Ugh. a alligator. Um, in a way, he's like a he's got like a like a crocodile snout with a, an eel's like tail, which is, I will say, really cool design on the part of the Phantom Menace. Um, That's true, but uh, you know, very terrifying. But I I can almost feel like probably doesn't taste that good. But it's just the fact that like, oh yeah, I killed this thing and I ate it. It's that's the that's the American thing. We just passed Fourth of July, by the way. People love killing things and cooking things, especially things that could kill them. That's very true. That's very true. Kill it and eat it before it kills you and eats you. That's kind of the mentality. So I can picture colo clawfish being like a big game kind of thing, and you're trying to use as much of it as you can uh, to turn it into something. So yeah, it's probably a delicacy, like Dryden was alluding to. But there's probably other uses for it as well, and one of those uses could be barbecued meat. Like, you take some of the some of the tail down there, and you slow cook it over an open fire. There's got to be some way you can barbecue that thing. Yeah. I would, be, I would be really interested to see how you do it and what it would end up tasting like. To me, it would probably be a little on the rubbery side, so I'm not sure how much of a fan I would be of it, because... Uh, food that's that chewy, that takes that much work to consume... I don't know how crazy I'd be about that, but I'd be intrigued to observe the process and maybe even participate in it, uh, if nothing else. So, you know, I, there's just there's just so many different aspects of barbecue that you could look at, both in a in a real world and in a in a fantasy world. And colo clawfish is one of those ones that I'm just like, I'm not sure entirely. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I I'm not. Uh, you know, I like seafood, but uh, I'm not sure about that. Not sure. Uh, lucky for us, we'll never have to find out. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't never say never, but I think this is pretty well never. Well, I mean, it was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. For all we know, the coal clawfish is extinct by now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Especially if people are, are killing them and eating them. Right? Because if they're only native of Naboo, then they're probably an endangered species. Because Naboo's got all kinds of crap happening to it all the time. That's true. That is very true. Oh, well. I'm not going to get political on this show again. I'm gonna, just going to close this show down. It is time to put me to bed. It's time to put this show to bed. Uh, ben, I know that this was kind of a last-minute discussion, but it was still a fun one, and I'm looking forward to having more fun next week, too. Yeah, no, this was great. I think, you know, I, I, I was all geared up to talk about Spider-Man, and i got to keep that going for another week. But it's all good. Getting to talk about more Star Wars is great. And we finally get to rectify the fact that, yeah, we probably should have discussed this one before Rogue One, but we don't care. We're just going to go with it. It's it's our show. We'll do it in the order that we want. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, but yeah, oh, this well. was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. Our next Star Wars movie discussion will be A New Hope, and it'll be sometime next month, so be on the lookout for that. But we've got a lot more fun stuff happening between now and then, including next week when we bring on our friend Jake Damon to discuss Spider-Man Far From Home in greater detail than what we gave you at the top of the show. Uh, So be sure to tune into that and uh, all the rest of the fun that we've got in store for you as well. But that's going to do it for tonight's episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. Episode 245 is now officially in the books. For Benjamin Hart, I'm Zach Arnold. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in next time, but until that time comes around, we just want to leave you with this closing thought. Who we are never changes. Who we think we are does. And we think that we'll see you next time right here on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone.
Up your ass. Oh, very nice. Matter of fact, eat How's that? Eat Eat Smug smile. Definitely eat